Welcome to Stroke Session. I'm your host, Leslie the Third. I'm Jonathan Daniel Brown. And we're joined today by a very special guest, um, film essayist, Shannon Strucci. Thank you for, so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. All right. Me too. Me too. So Shannon is a very excellent um, film critic. Um, you can see her videos on Strucci, uh, uh, YouTube channel Strucci Movies, yes? Mm-hmm. And, and you what pronounced do you... it right. I'm glad. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> so what do you talk about on your channel? Um, I talk about um, film history and film theory and media theory. And um, I used to have a series called So You Want to Be a Film Nerd that was centered around that. But now I, I branched out a little bit to talking about like video games or talking about TV shows. And what I'm working on a lot now is a series on parasocial relationships, which are relationships with like a media figure or a fictional character which are really prominent in our society now compared to 50 years ago or 100 years ago, and kind of how they're warping everything, especially with how alienated and stratified we are as a culture. I think that's really interesting. Um, uh, it is, yes. It's interesting because it definitely feels that the definition of a cult classic or a cult hit has become, especially over the last 25 years or so, actually genuinely culty. Yes. To the point where things are... Things are worshipped from afar, and some of that goes to the, you know, the the sort of the 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 Web 2.0ization of our society, in which everything needs to be divided up into fandoms and subcultures for the purpose of selling ads. Mm-hmm. And it just just uh, media as identity, and and especially with like I don't know religion not being as big of a part of people's lives and in real life community not being as big a part of people's lives because it was like in the fifties is when TV presenters started trying to be more personable and acting like viewers were their friends and like using their first names and stuff. And they were also pushing products and that's just gotten with like vloggers and stuff now and loot crate and whatever. It's completely insane and really interesting and really harmful for on my end of it too. YouTube really encourages creators to try to form that bond with people even though there's no way you can be friends with thousands of people, it's super unhealthy and gross. Um, and just navigating that is really uh, creepy, but also interesting. Absolutely, absolutely. And today we're talking. We're going to talk about. So that really sounded like apocalyptic. That all of us are just <laughs> living through, or uh, are just you know vicariously having friends online, and eventually those are going to be replaced by like AI or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's another hell world. But the hell world that we're going to talk about today is the hell landscape of Australia in the Mad Max series. Mad Max, uh, fantastic series. I've loved it for since I've seen it. I remember seeing, watching it as a kid. And we're just going to have a dis- uh, discussion about all the films. Um, maybe talk a little bit about the video game. And, you know, we're going to sell it once and for all, which is the best Mad Max movie. It's Thunderdome. Thunderdome is the best Mad Max movie by miles. It's got a Tina Turner theme song. It's got kids that can be rescued and gathered. It's got fights to the death, and it's PG-13. What else could you want from your post-apocalyptic cinema? Well, yeah, we'll jump in here. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, so first things first, um, let's talk about the original, the OG 
Mad Max. I feel like Mad Max really doesn't get a lot of love. I think Road Warrior for most most of history, most of time, took all the shine from Mad Max, and a lot of people haven't really seen it. And then Fury Road comes out, and people are forgetting Road Warrior. But <laughs> Mad Max is just this completely like forgotten classic. I feel. Well, it's interesting because it definitely feels that to me uh, when you watch Mad Max, it actually fits into this pantheon of you know, uh, mid to late 70s, post-Vietnam, very cynical revenge fantasy films. I mean, honestly, watching Mad Max again, it reminded me of the original Death Wish with Charles Bronson, Mm -hmm. where it's just, here's a cop, he's got nothing to lose, he's going to clean up all of the scum, and he's going to... But then there's the... What I think George Miller did, which was so brilliant, was he took this sort of character to its logical end, to show that this is not particularly a heroic man. This is not a guy who is saving the world. He's just getting revenge at the end of it. You know, Max, Mad Max, when people talk about the Mad Max series, they tend to talk about Road Warrior and beyond, I think, because those are post-apocalyptic films. Mad Max is a pre-apocalyptic film, and that's what's pretty interesting. I mean, the police still exists. Uh, social services and business still works. You see the seams of, of Australian society ripping to its it, and, and, and fraying and, and collapsing in itself. But then you also see that the world is, for the most part, functioning as is. It feels like we're in Mad Max 1 right now, actually. <laughs> yeah, they still have ice cream shops. Yes. It was weird. I hadn't seen them. I saw the first three movies in, like, 2010, and I hadn't seen them since then. And there's a lot, I forgot that he was a cop, because that, that plays a lot in the first movie, and then it's barely mentioned later on. And then it's like, yeah, they're still... Like, oh, you can go to the store and get a new tire. You can get some ice cream. They have, like, a really dilapidated police station for some reason. But I had forgotten how together everything still was. Yeah, so it's it's so it's pre-apocalyptic. So it's kind of like, there, like, what that film makes me think of is, like, people, when the apocalypse happens, like, people aren't going to know when it happens. Like, it's just going to be this slow slide into decay. And I think that's kind of the beautiful thing about Mad Max, that's pre like, so much shit has fallen apart compared to our world, at at least at that time, but you can definitely see, like, all of Mad Max happening five, six years from now, and it being not very uh, different, um, depending on how cynical you are. And and one thing I did like about the aspect of him being a cop is that they kind of make the point in the film that there's not much difference between the cops and the bad guys. They're just like two different roving gang, violent gangs who Mm -hmm. blow up a bunch of shit and ruin people's lives whenever they meet them. That's basically it. The the gang, the uh, toe cutters are, you know, worse, obviously, but they're not necessarily that much uh the cops aren't necessarily that much better right it's interesting what separates the violence uh of the police and the violence of the toe cutters is basically the toe cutters will sexually assault people and hurt children and the police will just shoot and blow up entire towns (laughs) (laughs) just ram people off the road constantly yeah, they're completely lethal, the police force. and Matt. There's no arresting in this movie. They just kill people all the time. Well, and they do arrest that one guy, but then he gets off. That's right, and they, they can't even convict that, or because there's no criminal. That's right, the criminal justice system in this uh, 
in this uh, pre-apocalyptic Australia is completely and utterly broken. That actually, it's interesting because George Miller is like a left-wing guy, but by, you know, this definitely fit in with the sort of uh, right-wing fetishized vigilantism of of that era, including, you know, the rise of the Punisher. And, uh, you know, what was the other one besides Death Wish? And There's a few Dirty the, Harry. Dirty it, Harry movies, sure. It, it could, but I feel like this movie is a lot more like solo and smarter because as you point out at the end like mad max he's just a mad he's a madman that's why it's called mad max it's not a compliment like he starts off as you know max uh i forget it's like uh tavoski or whatever oh rocket rocketani rocket rocketonski he starts off as max rocketonski but he loses so much that at the end he's just this deranged killer um, with nothing left to lose and no real fear. And he's sadistic, too. Like, he's been brought to the point where, like, he takes pleasure in hurting people. And, like, it's not... He's not a good person. And that's pretty much established in the other movies, too. I think Thunderdome kind of forgets this sometimes. But, yeah, he's And Fury not- Road does, too. Fury Road definitely makes Max a, a, an explicit hero. But as far as, like, the me- the original goes... It's like it really captures this just this feeling of like loss and decay in a way that I found really effective. I was really surprised when I went back and watched it and just thought about what a good film it is. Like it's better than like a Death Wish or a Dirty Harry. Like those are okay, those are fun, those are cool, but I think this film is like a actual serious, you know, kind of movie. It's more than just, you know, this uh, power fantasy. And I, I feel like, especially for being such a uh, early, like the first incarnation of this character, it really captured something, you know, fascinating. I like the uh, villains in the first movie, especially. I think that's one of the things that stood out to me as something that George Miller expanded on is having very, very strange if you compare them to like the Death Wish villains or the Dirty Harry villains who are just sort of low lives, these people like have this mannequin they carry around and they do a lot of really strange, like ignoring all of the really uh, brutal sexual assault stuff. They were just really quirky and weird and entertaining. Yeah. They each had their own little strange personalities. And they cared about each other too. That was mm-hmm. one thing. Like that. That's that's one thing that always gets will get me into an action movie is when the villain, the bad guys, when the hero shoots like the the fifth most important guy, and then the third most important guy, who is like his brother, or in this case, his um, boyfriend, husband, uh, probably. He actually, you know, reacts and is angry and upset and sad about it. Like that is what separates, you know, like a kind of thoughtless action movie from a thoughtful action movie. Yeah, I ag- I agree with you, L. There's such a consistent trend over the last twenty years of making villains. In, the, in, in action movies as bland as possible so that it doesn't feel bad when they get shot or get their heads lopped off. But, but that's so antithetical to good storytelling. I mean, when you look at Die Hard, for example, part of what's so much fun of seeing Bruce Willis cut through all of these guys is watching Alan Rickman and his cohorts flip out as, yes. <laughs> as their guys get killed one by one and as their plan, which they see themselves as heroes in, fails. That's good storytelling. When the bad guys don't know that they're bad guys, it's you know mustache twirling one hundred and one. <laughs> yeah, and so like that's that's the thing. Like I don't think the toe colors think of themselves 
as bad guys, maybe bad asses, but like they seem to have like, if not a ethic, a sort of code that they abide by, or at least rules that they abide by. That's why they take it so personally when the cops arrest that guy, and then they go after the cops after the fact. It's like for some reason, for some somehow, those cops have violated a code of theirs and that and that those scenes where like they have where they like ambush uh goose and it's just so dark and fucked up but it's like you get the feeling that it's like all right well that's because goose crossed the line a, a line that the coke toe colors had drawn that he they had violated some kind of agreement right the cops and the gangs are at this point in decaying society pretty much at the same power level they're they're they are equals at war rather than the law coming down on some, you know, group of scumbags. There is nothing basically left except for roads in this Australian society, and gas is running out, and people are losing their their sense of community, and there's just dead people and buzzards everywhere. It's (laughs) such a drag. It it is not a fun future, but it is familiar, and that's what may... and, And I think a lot of that comes from sort of this this it's really interesting because George Miller takes aesthetics from these these biker movies from the 60s like Easy Rider but also takes stuff from spaghetti westerns like The Good the Bad and the Ugly this is genuinely one of the first few hybrid genre action films yeah and and created kind of its own genre of action movies where it's it, like the influence of Mad Max, especially Road Warrior, the aesthetics alone, like just in pro wrestling, there are at least like th- there are three or four pro wrestling tag teams whose gimmick is just looking like the um, bad guys from um, Road War uh, from Road Warrior. Um, and so th- this movie, I think, is really an important one. I think I, I feel sad that it's so underappreciated. Like no one ever really talks about Mad Max as starring the whole thing. And in a lot of ways, I find it to be the most interesting film because it's before you know the world's ended. It's before you like this. His wife, Mad Max's wife, that is such a fascinating story and character because you see like the world has already fallen apart, but she doesn't know it. And it's not because she's stupid. It's because she's us. It's like she's going out to eat ice cream because that's what most people would still be doing. You know, it's what we're still doing. We're, we, she doesn't really know how dangerous it is. Uh, we, she doesn't really know how far things have fallen i just found her character it really gives the film a real sense of heart and meaning that like they're they're like because in all the other movies everybody knows what's what's happening but in this movie a lot of them don't like the cops uh, like they have a sense of something going wrong but there's st- but there's still like people going to the beach and eating ice cream and just you know relaxing and being normal and but the audience knows the danger and that really just heightens the tension so much i mean it really is bizarre i mean right after a major action sequence <laughs> max and his wife go on a vacation with their son what was it sprog <laughs> the most australian baby name ever sprog sprog where's sprog <laughs> and their little doggy yeah they got the cute dog and who doesn't uh meet a very kind end yeah because this is a, still an apocalyptic film the baby has to die the dog has to die and the wife has to basically get knocked into vegetative states yeah they never really at the end 
clear that up, right? Yeah, she it last night. She's it's like, just, oh, she's probably she's really bad, and then the movie ends, and you never see her again. It's like, okay. Yeah, he pulls a Newt Gingrich. He just kind of walks away. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm really upset. Well, fuck her. I'm not coming back. I guess. Like, okay. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> I'm glad she meant so much. She meant enough to him for him to be like become Mad Max and be angry, but not to like check up on her. I guess that what narratively that wasn't important. Oh, the kid's dead. Whatever. I'm gonna start over. <laughs> get a new dog. Well, he does get a new dog actually. Yep. Not for long. Oh God. All right. So, if final thoughts on Mad Max, uh, Shannon. I think. Part of the reason that it doesn't stand out is that visually compared to the other movies, it's a lot more bland because he had a, obviously like a very low budget, but like the aesthetics of, especially Fury Road, but even Road Warrior, there were certain shots in Road Warrior and Thunderdome that was like, oh, that was really cool. That was a cool camera movement. Whereas Mad Max, it was very utilitarian. Um, I think part of that made it, it look so much more like any other like cheap exploitation movie from that era. And I think that's part of what hurts it. Um, I think it is an interesting setup for everything else, though. It's kind of interesting. Uh, the exploitation elements of Mad Max have, you know, stuck out. Uh, you know, if you've if you've seen Saw or if you've seen Man on Fire with Denzel Washington, you know that that there's that one scene where you know in Mad Max where he he, he basically handcuffs he handcuffs the bad guy to the to the bridge and you know says saw off your arm or die when I blow it up. And and that became a running theme in so many movies uh, where, you know, the, the, the anti-hero ha, ha, does the, even in Batman Begins, you know, I'm not going to kill you, but I'm not going to save you either. It's a very weird kind of, I don't know, libertarian. It's like, it's like, well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not going to cross that line, but I'm just going to put you in the position that you're going to die unless you, you know, mutilate yourself beyond repair. So, uh, definitely going to explode, right? You're definitely going to die, but that's not on me. You, you could have cut your fucking hand off. (laughs) (laughs) I do have to say that's a badass fucking ending. That's one of the best badass endings in any action movie. Oh yeah. And it's stuck around. It's stuck around. There's a. It's cool. <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> love favorite, fake violence. <laughs> my favorite version of it is uh, Werner Herzog and Jack Reacher. Oh. Where he keeps being like, "Why won't they eat their own fingers? I guess they have to die." It's great. He's, he's so he's, good in that. He Werner Herzog and Jack Reacher is so obscenely good that it just makes the rest of that movie look so bad in comparison. Whoa, whoa, like hold from on. a different planet. Hold oh, no. on, did I, did hold I, did on. I just trigger? Hold no. on, <laughs> hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No talking shit about Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher 2, yes. Jack Reacher, that, that, movie, is, that movie is dope. I'm sorry. I think my favorite part of Jack Reacher is the headless woman that gets dressed and leaves Tom Cruise's motel at the beginning so that the audience knows that Jack Reacher is straight because there's no love interest. <laughs> They're like, just so you know, Tom Cruise still fucks women. Uh, hails you. <laughs> All right, moving on to Road Mad- Warrior, Mad Max Two, or the Road Warrior. It has it has both both titles. Mad Max Two. Uh, it's also Mad Max Two colon the Road Warrior, depending on which country you're in. Um, I like the Road Warrior personally, <laughs> but you know that's me. All right, so Mad Max Two. Now we we're, we're in the shit now. The apocalypse has fully, fully happened, and Mad Max is just this um, insane person wandering the desert with a dog 
and a shotgun and just trying to survive uh, this hellscape that everyone lives in now. The hell that is, it's almost like the hell that he found himself in at the end of Mad Max, he's, that has, sp- that has sprung outward from him and completely um, destroyed taken the world. Over. It's completely taken over. The darkness that was in him has taken over the world. And so we have this, you know, a much different film in a lot of ways, but it's still, I feel like, you know, it's a natural continuation. I didn't feel like it was a jarring change. I, more than any other movies in this series, I feel like Mad Max 1 and Mad Max 2 really like fit together as one coherent uh, narrative. I think right. He just got more experience and a bigger budget and more freedom. Which is interesting uh, because bigger budgets usually mean less freedom. But stylistically, I mean, this is probably, at least until Fury Road came about, stylistically, this is George Miller's coolest movie. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's a, it's a treat to watch. You know, plot aside, it is a beautiful, beautiful film. And it really, 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 uh, I think, obviously, if anybody has played Fallout or any of those type of video games, you're a little spoiled because you don't realize how influential this film was in creating almost everything that you loved about those games. I mean, really, the 70s in general, if you go back to A Boy and His Dog, you could even take some of that. But I'd say The Road Warrior is the majority of the 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 uh, origin of our current obsession with post-apocalyptic chic. Would you say that's accurate, Shannon? I think so. I can't think of anything else that was like that heavy hitting and also that just that creative and that um and something that stuck out to me was like how heavily it leaned into like gay culture like leather culture i guess i hadn't thought about it like the guy the villain who has no butt on his pants yes i thought that i mean you know that's one of those things that's kind of complicated but i i really enjoyed it because it like i said it just leans into it there's no like pretense there's no like no that no homo it's just like they're there and they're not necessarily demonized for it. Um, and I don't know if that helped how much that affected the leather culture going forward in this kind of stuff, the way that George Miller just completely embraced it. Um, cause I don't know enough about that kind of thing. Well, it definitely, really it, it definitely affected the leather culture in wrestling because if you ever saw the tag team known as the road warriors or uh, demolition or, you know, uh, uh, the Ultimate Warrior and Sting, like all these guys, took all their aesthetic, their get-ups, even like the spiked um, football pads, directly <laughs> from from this movie and turned it into pro wrestling gimmicks that lasted for thirty years. So there was really something about this aesthetic that like outlived its initial creation for like to this day basically like there's still wrestlers who are being who are trying to be like pro wrestlers who are trying to be like uh the lord humongous it just went for it it was just a completely sincere embracing of all this weird stuff like i said the characters in the first movie were pretty strange but i think this one they were able to with the costume design and everything um just go for it it was awesome yeah, and it never really... Miller kind of stuck to that for pretty much every every movie he made. I mean, well, I guess besides Happy Feet. <laughs> uh, but he he's always, you know, this this uh, the costumes and, and, and the weirdness and the, the... I never even thought about it in, a, in, a, in, in terms of uh, LGBT culture. But. I was thinking about that a lot. 
especially on more than any of the other ones was Road Warrior. Those two, the guy with the red mohawk and his little blonde guy. Right. He gets killed. They're never like, I mean, his outfit is ridiculous, but the movie doesn't make fun of him for being upset that his like gay lover is dead. No. I thought that was cool for when it came out. It very easily could have been like, haha, look at this guy. But he's very much like, no, I'm going to come kill this kid now. And it's very serious and kind of sad. Even though he doesn't have, he's got like a little tail or something. And he has assless chaps. Yeah. And it's really interesting. Th- there's also like, there's definitely, there's weird stuff like the feral kid who like follows Max around with like, he, he this boy with like hair out of like a, a poison video or something like <laughs> well, he, well technically so weird. He, he has Brett hair Michaels looking kid he has hair out of thunderdome he's just a precursor to thunderdome basically right right part but of thunderdome I mean, escaped into this movie only, See, was oh, the, oh, it was the same kid no it wasn't it was different well, kid well here's the thing about like george miller like he has like character like actors in in some of these movies like playing characters like twice but like, even though they're not like the same character, like the uh, Toe Cutter and um, the villain in uh, Fury Road, they're the same actor. Like the pilot in um, in uh, Row Warrior, Warrior and Beyond Thunderdome are the same guy. They're not the same character, but like they're the same guy. I guess he's just the guy who knows how to fly a gyrocopter. <laughs> just, this guy looks like a good skinny guy for Mel Gibson to boss around. You know, one thing I will say that. Uh, I think I think about while watching these two movies is that these are explicitly, I would say, anti-capitalist films because they have elements of consumption being such a major part of what destroyed the world. The lack of resources in a post-scarcity world came from the, the you know hubris and greed and 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 desire to have it all, and I do think actually the first movie touches on that a little bit, but in the second movie it's so much more explicit that we just destroyed ourselves, and we did it because we wanted everything, and I think about that versus uh, the Walking Dead, for example. And the Walking Dead seems to have no self awareness as to why the apocalypse happened and why these groups of survivors keep murdering each other. They just do. They go to one place. They settle down, someone else is there, they kill them, zombies show up, they leave, rinse, repeat for ten fucking years. There's no reflection, there's no, you know, consideration, there's no real goal besides blind survival or any sort of higher cause. Well, there there is a goal, and it's to return back to white suburban American life, as if that is the height of, like, civilization. Right. And they say this explicitly, like... I, I just wish, you know, Carl, Carl would, you know, know what it's like, you know, to have a normal life someday. And, and like, they, they always do that. And, like, that's the best thing that they can imagine. It's like a suburb. Like, that's so sad. Yeah. At no point in Mad Max do these characters dream about their picket fences. <laughs> it's just not, <laughs> no, it's want, not like, a water. thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they want to not die or be raped or like ma- mauled to death by random creatures in the desert. <laughs> like it's it's actually survival in and in, and in, 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 in the least, I would say in in the most uh, in a way that condemns the structure that led them to the situation rather than a fetishization of the constant loss 
There's there's very little fetishizing well, of violence. Well, to say. be fair, I think that a lot of that has to do with that th- these movies take place and are made by Australians, and there is so much stuff that can just kill you, and you do need water <laughs> and shelter and not to be in my animals. So maybe it's not just well, maybe that's just the difference between like Australians version of uh, surviving the apocalypse and American version of surviving the apocalypse. I'm sure I'm sure uh, Kirkman's version of survive uh, of winning in the apocalypse apocalypse is you know just being able to go to like a panera again like that I, mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean if if kirkman wrote mad max like max and you know a random sheriff that he made friends with would hide in a kangaroo for three weeks and <laughs> then they'd kill each other over like the meat like there's just no there's no sense of empathy in in, in any of it anymore like any sense of humanity is from, from from both the comics and the show is gone. Anyway, it's not the shit on Walking Dead hour. Hey, Jack, are you here? Yeah, hey, everybody. Uh, hey. I'm here now, too. Hi, Shannon. Nice yes. to meet Hello. you. I'm Jack. Uh, hey, I'm Shannon. The mics were hey, all Jack, fucked up. Hey, Jack, can you turn your mic up a little bit? Okay, let's see. The microphones were all fucked up at the office. Is that better? Yes. Okay, cool. Welcome back, Jack. Hey, everyone. Uh, sorry about that. Um, I was just going to jump in and say what, just what you guys were talking about, uh, is that I, I think that Mad Max is probably the only vision of uh, a future in Australia that has been portrayed on film. <laughs> and it is interesting that it's like as successful as it is. That's what I thought in like rewatching these movies is I'm like, it's so fascinating that like this is all about like what happens in the future in Australia <laughs> and that these movies are as pervasive as they are. Yeah, and so actually, um, we already talked about the first Mad Max. Did you have any thoughts on that, uh, Jack? That you want to share? Uh, I mean, I like the first Mad Max. Uh, um, I think it is, you know, uh, uh, it's it's kind of like Night of the Living Dead or Terminator or something like that. In that, like, it is you know held back by its limitations, but also you know you get to see how good a director he is because of those limitations. And I think it is you know like Terminator or like Night of the Living Dead. It's interesting when you see like a low budget sort of action or horror movie uh, end up spawning like a much bigger franchise. So, you know, I, I sort of respect it in that sense, but two is really the, the special one. And, and wait, what, what makes it special for you, Jack? Two, I mean, is really where like, you know, the, the world building and the sort of style and everything. World building. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. It's me being a prick. Everything that we associate with Mad Max and subsequently, you know, also associate with like Fallout uh, um, is, you know, basically established in two. Like uh, uh, the whole of uh, uh, the whole lexicon of like post-apocalyptic wastelands it was created by by Mad Max too, really. Um, so I know that it is probably the normiest opinion right after liking Fury Road the best, but I like two the best. Yes. And so I, I, I there is one thing I want to talk about that I think probably sets Mad Max apart from Fury Road, and we haven't talked about him yet, and that's Mel Gibson. Sure. All right. Mm. So this is Mel Gibson at the height of his power, beauty, and talent, mm-hmm. right? And like, by the and, way, if you're if you're a fan of Mel Gibson, we have an episode with his son who directed yeah. Happy Hunting. Check yes. that out. So we're just oh. saying that Mel Gibson is a 
brilliant man who has children <laughs> that come on our show. A brilliant, uncomplicated man who we fully support with no reservations. As, as a Jew, I, I personally uh, have never been offended by anything he's done. <laughs> and so I just want to say, like, there's something, like, really, like, interesting, because Mel Gibson, I have no problem saying, is a beautiful man. Yeah. And you see him in this ugly, ugly world and see him get beat up and fucked up, especially in Road Warrior, the scene where his dog gets shot and Jeez. he's just bloody on the car. It's like there's just like like you have this ultimate beauty versus this ultimate <laughs> ugliness. And it's like I feel like people want to see beautiful things destroyed. And that's kind of what people love about Mad Max and Mad Max the character. He really is like a gorgeous man, like very rugged and like not much facial hair, like somehow manages to, to keep his, his his mane in line. Yeah. Despite a little the fact streak. That- <laughs> Yeah, a little white streak and perfectly like coiffed. Yeah, he, he gets a, gets in the makeup chair before he heads to the, the <laughs> post apocalyptic so, police department station. What I think works so well about Mel, and I and I do think that Mel is a talented actor and filmmaker, uh, although uh, an interesting guy in his personal life. I guess <laughs> it's fair to say. Uh, I think what works so well about Mel Gibson as an actor, uh, and you can see just flashes of it in this, is that he's actually a crazy person. Like same as same as Jack Nicholson, Mel Gibson actually is a little unhinged, and you can like see it in his eyes. So one of the things that works so well about him, like Jack Nicholson, is that he's an extremely attractive man who is just like ever so slightly actually unhinged. Right. That actually is why he's so great in Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Too. That's what I was about to say. Uh, his facial expressions in that movie. You can't fake that. You can't. You can't fake that. Like they're the Channing Tatum's out there that you know. They're just not smart enough to be as unhinged as uh, <laughs> as Mel Gibson, and you can't fake that. Yeah, he's a beautiful Crispin Glover. It takes being raised <laughs> by like a fucked up uh, Christian fundamentalist to have that kind of crazy behind your eyes. Yeah, Tom Hardy, keep trying though. <laughs> In the first movie, when his leg gets shot, his like physical acting when he's like dragging one of his, I just thought that was really good. He's so good. Oh, yeah, he colla- early, the way he, he collapses. So and, and he's, he's like, like trying so hard, and I was like, really cool and really. Believable. I mean, every Mel Gibson, like, he's a great act. He's he's great. Mel Gibson is great. I have to say, like, he is a complicated guy uh, uh, and, and everything. But like, every movie he's made has been very good. Uh, did you guys did you guys see Hacksaw Ridge last couple of years? Oh yeah, it's great. Hacksaw Ridge is great. It's, like, it's two different movies. The first half is about Hugo Weaving as Mel Gibson apologizing for everything <laughs> Mel Gibson did. Via Andrew Garfield, and then the second half is just the most brutal, <laughs> brutal action movie I've ever seen. I mean, it's in terms of World War II, like yeah. it is, it is, uh, it is Hamburger Hill in Okinawa. It is yeah. fucking insane. All right, one one thing I do want to bring it. One last thing about Road Warrior is you know body representation. All right, so I feel like you know for Swole Boys. This is their film because normally <laughs> swole boys are portrayed as dumb, as lunkheads, as lackeys of the main villain. But here you got the swollest dude of them all, and he's the leader. He's the smart one. He's the guy in charge. And I just want to, you know, shout out to George Miller, you know, for showing that all bodies are beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even in- there's a swole lady, too. Oh, yes. And the compound. She's got amazing eyebrows. I don't remember the character's name. A warrior lady. I was like, nice. She's not getting raped. <laughs> Step up. Yeah, there's a, you know, it's interesting. Uh, granted, this is part of the 70s and 80s where every other movie had a rape scene sure. just for shock value. 
And it was just, it was so trendy at the time that, like, looking back, you're like, geez, like, even, even, I mean, the, the, you know, Death Wish, to go back to that, like, the, it is so gratuitous and long-lasting, or even a boy and his dog has rape. I mean, the, the 70s loved rape in movies, and so did, you know, the early 80s. It wasn't really until the main, the mid-80s till that started to slow down a little bit. And, uh, b- but in these movies, the context, I mean, and granted, like, I'm a dude, but the context in in the Mad Max films, I think, are are there less for the you know gratuity and fetishization, more about like well, like when the world and society breaks down, people become more animalistic, people become more psychotic and unhinged. Uh, the, you know, these gangs almost remind me a little bit of the Crossed in those Garth Ennis comics, where despite being completely psychotic and unhinged, they had a sense of loyalty to each other and they had this sense of uh, bizarre psychotic camaraderie and they have a plan too in this one they have a plan like they're not just going around marauding for no reason they want gasoline everybody guzzoline everybody needs guzzoline so it it like their plan makes sense and at the end of the day it's just like matt max isn't a hero in this movie either he's just kind of he's doing what he does for his own benefit he's helping these people and he kind of gets lured into helping them and at the end of the day they betray him <laughs> like that's the like that's the you know really interesting thing about this film like he helps he's he's trying to help these people out but they end up you know just using him as bait um and kind of leave him leave him for dead while they go off and escape yeah it's a really fun twist on the western where the the you know the the violent but noble outsider comes in fixes a fucked up situation and then walks off into the sunset a hero to find his next quest. Uh, it's, it's interesting you know, that you mentioned Westerns because I, I was like struck uh, struck while watching this film at just how like gorgeous all the shots are. Like it, this, this movie really looks like the searchers. It, it's kind of like the searchers with just like slightly less racist politics <laughs> and set in the future. Yeah. So, Everyone, final thoughts on uh, Road Warrior. For me, I think this is the best uh, Mad Max film, hands down. I think it's exciting. Like, it, like we didn't really talk about how tense it is. I guess we'll talk about uh, uh, that for Fury Road. But like the the chase scene, like it's just so brilliant and it's just oh, so yeah. powerful. Yeah, we haven't even really gotten into the actual action and cinematography and just the the chaos of uh, Shannon. You want to jump in? Yeah, well, like I said, the first movie, there's not a lot of thought put into the shots. It's very, like, sort of far away, like, medium shots or whatever. And then this one, there were a couple of, um, there was, like, one where there's a sunset or something, and then some of the action scenes, it was like, wow, they're actually carrying where they put the camera Mm -hmm. past, like, we have to show what's going on. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, the costume design, especially on the villains, is great. The production design, there's enough money to it just not be, like today but sadder <laughs> I, there's just so much more going on and it's I'm so it's like so cool to watch that progression almost immediately like it's like you can tell that George Miller cares so much about what he's making and it, it really comes in in uh, Road Warrior I think I think that's why it's a lot of people's favorite 
I mean, it's so interesting that, like, so much of the stuff that people, like, lost their minds over in Fury Road, and Fury Road is a very good movie, but so much of that was there in Road, uh, was there in Road Warrior already. Like, sure. the big, I mean, and, and, like, but it is, it is interesting that it's, like, these same techniques, like, virtually unchanged, like, des- like doing, like, uh, uh, extensive production design, you know, with a, uh, uh, a specific, like, look and style, and then just shooting these cars, like, driving fast and shooting them quickly. Cool. Like Fury Road, like uh, uh, again, like it, it just is interesting that how much George Miller was already doing back, uh, uh, you know, in Road Warrior. Yeah, with practical effects. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Which he still did in Fury Road. It was still mostly practical, but that's uh, that's something about we haven't gotten to it yet. But some of the effects in Thunderdome, I was like, how did that guy not die? <laughs> he did that. That's amazing. Thunderdome really is. Uh, I think it's great. And I know that everybody fucking hates Beyond Thunderdome because it's basically the return of the Jedi or, <laughs> or, or even the, uh, to some, some would even argue, the last Jedi of the Mad Max series. Let's not I be. Just, that's, let's, that's too much. That's too far. <laughs> I, just say it just, I just feel like George Miller watched like Indiana Jones. Like he watched and was like, "All right, I'm gonna make me one of those." <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's, kids. M- make make no mistake. Uh, Beyond Thunderdome is a Star Wars movie. Yeah. It is a pulpy PG-13, mostly family-friendly film that takes place in this world. And it, I mean, you could have called it like Mad Max spinoff, or you could have just called this movie Beyond Thunderdome and replaced Mel Gibson with anybody else. But that's not what he wanted to do. I mean, it does feel like two movies that were glued together. Yes, yes. A, a pseudo-sequel to The Road Warrior, and then just a, a Temple of Doom-style story where, you know, these kids have to be saved. Goonies. And, and look, I mean, I mean, sure, the violence was was toned down. There's a bunch of annoying kids, but man, there's Barter Town, and then the Thunderdome itself is so cool. And Tina Turner is fucking great as Auntie. Awesome. Yeah, she's, she's great. Awesome. And she's got like a, a Bond theme song at the beginning. I mean, it's. It, I mean, look, it is just such a weird and it feels like a Walter Hill movie. It feels <laughs> like a. You know, like from it feels like a, 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 a spinoff of The Warriors or something, less so than a Mad Max movie. But I still love it. So, so look, uh, compared to every modern franchise, like Beyond Thunderdome is clearly the worst, probably the worst, probably clearly the worst film uh, of the Mad Max series as it exists right now. But look at every other franchise film, especially modern franchise films. For this. To be, first of all, the only one that's totally incorrect in the series, uh, and then for it to even be as good as it is and have as many cool ideas and cool images as it has. I mean, like, if Mad Max was coming out at the rate of, like, these Disney Marvel movies, there'd be, like, four bad Ma- Mad Maxes already, like, all in totally different genres and styles. So, I don't know. I guess I can forgive this one, even though it is flawed for a lot of reasons, just because it still has a lot of cool George Miller stuff in it it's fun but it's really creative and strange it's uh, super weird it's really weird because when i saw these movies around 2010 it was my least favorite and i, I thought i would like really dislike it again but i was like this is really interesting yeah i don't really know what's happening it, um uh but and there's a lot more character to the other people like in the second movie the people who are in the compound i don't really care about any of them i don't think any of them are that interesting Whereas in this movie, the kids were annoying, but everyone else was like, there was something I about them that I enjoyed seeing on screen, especially Tina Turner. 
Uh, well, Leslie, like you say, you know, that it feels like he watched the Indiana Jones movies and decided to make him one of those or make make one of those. Uh, uh, and I mostly agree. But then it's like we're watching an Indiana Jones movie where there's a city that's powered by like by shit, shit by pigs <laughs> shitting in a giant pen. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. Like, I kind of I'm like, fuck, I like uh, I like if I guess I'm if I'm going to watch uh, some like an Indiana Jones ripoff, I'd at least have it be like extremely weird and kind of gross. I mean, yeah, there's, like, I mean, yeah, like, the villains are a little goofy, like, Blaster and Master. Sure. I, mean, I, actually, I actually like Master Blaster. <laughs> they, they, I mean, look, the... the I like the, the reveal. What's, what, what's missing, what's missing from this movie, I think, is a lot of pathos and, and sort of a, a, the realistic humanity and, and the, the hopelessness and this, the, the struggle to survive. It's there, but it's, it, it's, it's, it's definitely cartoon yeah. It's definitely... And frankly, I think that some of that actually did carry on into Fury Road. Like, specifically, like, for example, uh, like, uh, the milking of the mothers and, and how that works uh, with, with a Morton Joe and how, he, and how he, like, that is very, very cartoonish and over the top in a way that I, I don't think even fit into the aesthetics of the first two. And I think without, without I'm just saying, without Beyond Thunderdome, there would be no Fury Road. That's my hot take. Interesting. Uh, and, and I would say um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But, uh, like, so, I, I, I liked this movie as a kid. I watched it all the time as a kid. I do not like this movie as an adult. It feels, as you said, like two stories smashed together. Like, this is two, like, novellas of Mad Max. Mad Max and the Thunderdome. Mad Max. Quantum of Solace. Mad Max and the Lost Children. All right, that is what... <laughs> These films should have been. They shouldn't have been movies because I really don't think they work as films. Like there's some cool stuff, but then there's some uncool stuff. Like Matt, whatever the fuck Mad Max is wearing, okay, throughout this film, it's like his <laughs> old skirt. Yeah, his old <laughs> gear with like a tunic on it, and it's like the Jedi ones, except the skirt is like a wrap skirt <laughs> instead of just like coming down the front and the back. Like he looks, the motherfucker looks like a fam. Um, that's all I can say. <laughs> and if you can't even have Matt and the hair, like no, no. If you can't even have Mad Max looking good, if you can't even have, have Matt, Mel Gibson looking good looking fly in Mad Max something has gone off the, uh, off the ropes uh, uh, off the rails okay yeah Tina Turner is fantastic but like she disappears for the second movie so you <laughs> only get so much of her in it like this could this could have <laughs> just been about that and uh, one thing that really like bothers me that I didn't notice like it feels compared to how wide open Mad Max and Road Warrior and Fury Road feel like they feel like they take place over like the whole of australia outback yeah Yeah. this movie feels like it takes place on like one or two sets for the most part yeah there's two places and and that just doesn't give me the sense of scale and i think you said desperation earlier like it does just doesn't feel like like everything is so sparse and stretched out and you know, desperate as the other, all the most of the other Mad Max uh, films feel. It feels like because th- there is a town. There's other people yeah. there. You can rely on them. You can trade with them. You can do this. You can do that. And, yeah, but, get a haircut. Yeah, but Barter Town is Barter Town is basically a post-apocalyptic Pirates of the Caribbean ride. It's not. <laughs> it does feel like you're on a track. Unlike oh yeah, it and does. That everything is deeply, deeply scripted, and that there isn't there isn't a sense of living. 
I don't really mind that as much as I think some of the more hardcore Mad Max fans do. I sort of accept it for what it is. But I, I get that criticism. I mean, it is it is embalmed. A huge, a huge element. I mean, and what's interesting is that this is just a different genre of film. Like, the Mad Max movies are ultimately, like, driving, like, car movies. Like, I, yeah. I don't know what that genre is called, but <laughs> in the vein of, you know, uh, uh, Fast and Furious, like, they are car movies. And there's, like, all the set pieces are, like, have a sense of motion, and that's where the action comes from. And that just is not in this Mad Max movie. <laughs> Well, and, and I didn't know this, but I guess the main producer of the Mad Max movies was killed in a helicopter crash before they made Thunder. John Landis oh, strikes God. again. Is <laughs> oh. uh, Byron Kennedy was the producer of the first two. And so these were Ken- like the production company. It was George Miller's producing partner. These were Ken- this was a Kennedy Miller Productions film. And so I wonder if that had something to do with the quality dip. Uh, not having your consigliere by I your mean, side. It could have had to do with something with them. That sounds like that could have gotten you a lower budget. Uh, I don't know. I, I will say, and I mean this in in all the ways it implies both positively and negatively, that this Mad Max reminds me a lot of the, the John Leguizamo Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Damn. I see it. No, to me, it really just does feel like a B level or C level Lucas Spielberg collab. It doesn't. It's. It definitely. It feels like Kathleen Kennedy could have been the producer. Like it's. It's Beastmaster too. It's Conan the Destroyer. It's that movie that every franchise in that era had to have. It's super eighties. It's the only film so eighties in the Mad Max that really feels like super dated. Unfortunately. And I still fucking love it, so fight me. (laughs) In the Thunderdome, on those bungee cords. All right, what the fuck was up with the bungee cords? Because I actually have forgotten that. (laughs) Like, why? Where do you find that in the post-apocalypse? How do you have so many bungee cords? Well, what else are you going to do with them? Fight? Fight? (laughs) For real? Yeah, people aren't going on, like, trips. I'm saying, wouldn't they get, like, dried out or, like, old? I'm saying they've survived how long? How many did they they're, have? Uh, they're made from they're made from pig shit. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. That makes it their best thing. All right, final thoughts on uh, Thunderdome. Two man enter, one man leave. It's my shit. I mean, look, it's the worst of the series, but it's still better than than <laughs> like m- almost a, like a lot of movies that are out there. There are parts of it I like a lot more than the first movie, but then there are parts that I can't even watch, like him talking to the kids, <laughs> and the way the kids give speeches is so annoying, and so, like, Crush is so stupid, um, but I think, I really like watching something where he clearly took some creative risks and was very sincere in how dumb it went, and I admire that. I like it. Um, turn it off after Tina Turner leaves. <laughs> watch half this movie at, at the most. And, and then get to the end where she comes back. Yeah. yeah. Just, just Actually, just watch a YouTube with all the clips from Tina Turner in it. That's all you need from this movie. Mm-hmm. All right. And so moving on to the last one. Apparently the greatest action film that has ever happened, according to uh, Twitter. <laughs> and everybody who yells at me every time I say, mm, it was okay. <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road. Wait, you thought Fury Road was just okay? Yeah, I thought, well, that's fine. I just, I just thought it was fine. I thought it was okay. I like, I didn't really get like, and the main thing, one of the main things is, it's like it's Tom Hardy instead of Mel Gibson. Like when you lose Mel Gibson, I mean, replace him with Tom Hardy, who is just like a really good character actor, like a guy who could be like the bad guy and yeah. really entertaining. 
as opposed to like Mel Gibson, once in a generation, charismatic guy, like that loses a little bit something and for I, me. And, and I and I have to say that the version of Mad Max Fury Road that I could imagine in my mind with old man Mel Gibson with like long hair and beard is better. It actually is better. <laughs> yes. I have to say it is much better. He fits that world. That would be like the the one time it would have been good to have the original guy come well, look, back I and mean, wear the old costume. It's obviously obvious from the stunts that that they wanted somebody younger who could do all these crazy action sequences. And it's also obvious that after Babe Pig in the City and Happy Feet, that George <laughs> Miller was mellowing out a little bit. I mean, Fury Road, it had, it had you know, midwives being milked for a Morton Joe, but a lot of the, I would say that definitely some of the grit was toned down. Uh, There's a lot less sexual violence. There's, although misogyny is always is a prevalent theme in the series, there's a lot less gore. There's a lot of, like, violence. There's a lot of people who die, but there's also a lot of camp. Like, you know, the, uh, what do you call the guy? Like, the, 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 with the D, like the what? The, what they call the warrior with the guitar, the flame guitar. He had a name. The doof warrior. The doof warrior. Yeah. Yeah. Like sir. there is there is a tongue in cheek sense of humor in Fury Road that I think did come out of Thunderdome and did come out of probably the last twenty well, years of the guy's I life. Mean, yeah, and also like the fact that uh, Mad Max has become such a part of pop culture, like that thing, you know, ultimately pop culture takes it on and it kind of metastasizes on its own. And then George Miller has to take it back, like with full awareness uh, uh, that all this time has passed. Right. I mean, it's, I mean, this was 30 years until he made another Mad Max movie. That's how bad Thunderdome fucked him up. Like he's like, he's like, okay, I'm not touching this forever. I'm going to make movies about pigs and penguins. And uh, then, he, oh man, his Justice City is better than cool. than Babe, though I will say that's my hot take for the episode. <laughs> but no, that's, Shannon, that's, Shannon, that's not a hot take. But Shannon, you, you're uh, I know you're a big Fury Road supporter, so te- so tell Fury us how great Road it is. So well, especially like as an editor and as someone who like tries to be a good visual storyteller. Um, for one, watching this movie after watching the other three, I watched them like back to back to back last night and this morning until my computer like exploded. <laughs> the color in Fury Road. It's so oversaturated, but it's still it's like beautiful. It's really cool what they were able to do with digital. And um there's a really good short video essay on Vimeo that's just the I think it's the DP talking about George Miller insisting everything be centered in the frame so that when they cut really fast you wouldn't get disoriented. Because normally you would like sit like use the rule of thirds and do really beautiful, elaborate compositions. But the way that they filmed this was very deliberately, everything was center frame. So it works really well, all this fast action, all this stuff all over the place. I just think uh, as an editor and as someone who likes visual storytelling, there's so much work that went into this and it was so deliberate yeah. for these like hundreds of hours of footage and it's and his like commitment to practical effects. Um, there's so much he could have just sort of like, oh, whatever, we'll do CGI. Mm-hmm. That, especially George Miller's so old now. Um, he goes like, oh, whatever. But I think even just on the level of you can tell someone is so committed and cares so much about what he's doing. And of course, coming from me, um, like representation of women mm-hmm. and he got like the vagina monologues lady or whatever on set. <laughs> oh yeah. And like, cool he did that, whatever. Um, I just felt like, cause I understand why there's so much rape in the other movies, but I think there's a lot that you can be- can communicate without necessarily using right. that or exploiting that. Or if you're going to use that, then you should really explore it more than just like a woman gets raped and shot in the right. face. And it's like, oh, this world is awful. 
Um, and I just loved everything about Fury Road. It is it is a little camp, but there is a lot of dark humor in it, like where the main war boy draws little happy faces on his tumors and stuff. It's not nearly as uh, like kid friendly. Yeah. As uh, Thunderdome, no, no. I, don't, I just like I said from a from a filmmaking craft perspective, especially, I'm, absolutely, it's just amazing. I'm so happy I got to see it in theaters, and I, I mean, still I want to see the Chrome edition, the black and white one. I still haven't. I mean, I do think that George Miller is a master, and I and I think what you were saying about the intentionality of his filmmaking, uh, filmmaking. I watched that Vimeo video uh, because you because you sent it over. I'm not smart enough to be watching stuff like that on my own. <laughs> it's <great. laughs> but it's great. It's, it's really great. simple, but you learn a lot in that like minute and a half video. It's like, wow, I didn't notice that. I mean, what I thought about when I was watching that video is I'm like, oh, that's like why I'm disoriented while watching Transformers movies because like yeah. the way Michael Bay shoots is just to like get all these shots and cut them together like as quickly it's as possible. If it you, is the cutting that makes you feel you sick and disoriented. That's really, I thought it was really fascinating. I, I uh, one of, one of the when it comes to editing, if you have like five cuts in one second, it really does make you feel fucking nauseous. Uh, there's a great YouTube clip you can check out. It's 13 seconds, and it's it's Liam Neeson and Taken. I've seen th- that. That's so good. It's Liam Neeson and Taken Three climbing a fence, and it's like from f- seven different angles and 13 different shots in eight seconds, and it's just it 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 shows just how fucking first of all how bad these movies are and how. I don't know if Luke Besson directed the third one, but like Europa Core has just gotten so lazy. And, and uh, but it also like if you can't get your angles and your, I mean, this is why you work with good cinematographers. This is why you storyboard. George Miller storyboarded every single shot in Fury Road and worked with a comic book artist on set to make sure that the storyboard and the frame would match each other. That's huge. And that's a basic filmmaking thing that I think has been lost in the era of everything being pre-vis. Well, where if you pre if you pre-vis instead of storyboard, you think more about the special effects than how the shooting actually looks. I think also like yes, it, it's pre-vis and I think it's also you know that in a lot of like this sort of more mainstream blockbuster studio pictures, these these film directors are more like television directors. They're like right. working for the executive. They're like largely working from existing storyboards and things like that. Like our traditional uh, um, blockbuster film directors are not the same cut that they used to be. They're like of the JJ mold. They're the like uh, executive and director clothing kind of mold. Yeah. Only only boomers get to be auteurs. Millennials and Gen Xers <laughs> don't get that. So one, one thing that the reason this film kind of left me kind of mad is because of what you've been talking about, how the, the color correction, the color, how very bright, yeah, very bright. So it took me like months to get this. But I don't really like Fury Road because it feels too moist, <laughs> like compared to the other films. <laughs> like it feels, it just feels like moist, like wet, and like this is supposed to be like a post-apocalyptic desert, and it just doesn't affect me as much because it seems like everything is very hydrated because it's full of color, and so they when you look at Mad Match, um. The Mad Max or Road Warrior is very washed out, um, and and that's just what Australia fucking looks like. But this, there's so much color here that I don't really get the same sense of desperation when watching the film. That makes sense. I did think that there was, though. I, I'm not sure I agree with you, mainly just because you the state of the war boys and how they're treated and how 
Like they're all sickly, and they they like half of them have leukemia or lymphoma. <laughs> yeah, but like, I didn't feel sorry. I didn't feel sorry for any of them. <laughs> That's the thing. I didn't feel sorry for any of them. Like I I, I like the main war boy. I think that was an interesting twist to kind of make him like a hero since he starts off as like like kind of a shitty like low level villain, but then he becomes like a real hero. And I, I enjoyed the journey of it, and, and there was a lot I enjoyed about it, but it didn't really grab me the same way because I never felt that there was a scene that just felt as desperate as when Mel Gibson gets his dog shot and his car blown right. up. Like there's never, there's not that scene in Fury Road. It's just this forward motion and they're kind of always progressing. And like sometimes they'll catch up, but then they'll move forward again. And, and like it's very exciting in, as to watch. It's very uh, thrilling, but I just need, I need a rock bottom scene to really like hook me in. I mean, it's, it's, it's one chase. The movie's one big chase, which is, you know, which goes with Miller's an experimental guy. He very much could have made a, a Road Warrior style movie again. I don't know if it would have done as well, but he could have done it. I uh, look with Fury Road. It's it's interesting because I'm actually also interested in checking out the black and white edition, which is to be fair, kind of an annoying trend. Like now, like Wolverine <laughs> is black and white. Like I don't need to see R-rated Sad Logan in black and white. Like let's well, not say I think. I mean, Miller was like, as he was shooting, it was considering this, and I think it fits in with rather than just being like, well, black and white makes it dramatic, so we'll just put a filter on it. Yeah, I think it. I think it's not the Logan black and white treatment, which uh, I think was just that removing the saturation. I do think George (laughs) Miller cared about. Yeah, I do think George Miller cared about it as he was shooting it. But uh, he's a you know I don't think that that uh, that spinoff with Charlize Theron is going to get made anymore. I don't know what happened. I do want to say Charlize Theron's character is uh, great, and they should have just called her Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been I mean, fine. Yeah. Tom Hardy could have been somebody else. That's why I, watching these all in a row, when Tom Hardy has the flashbacks to a different kid from the other movies, I was like, wait, did I miss something? Because I remember reading like, oh, this is a reference to when his kid dies. And early, it's like, no, it's a different one, but it's not. So it's very. Although I do like the fact that George Miller doesn't feel the need to adhere to a strict like canon for these really goofy apocalyptic movies i'm sure there are mad max fans mad max fans who are mad well i, yeah, I mean i would it's say not the same one or that it's not we actually talked about this on our discord and we kind of came to the con- conclusion that all right so there's always a mad max he always has a dead family he's always trying to <laughs> save some people he, he he either fails or betray him and this is actually carried further into the game as well because it kind of touches on a lot of the same things and it uses a lot of the um designs from fury road even though it probably technically can't take place in the same world because of some of the things that happen like the mad max video game is really like sad and depressing at the end because all mad max wants to do really is drive out in the desert and die and he just keeps oh getting God. in here <laughs> yeah it's kind of a fucked up premise for a video game but that's all he he calls it the planes of silence he just wants to escape into the planes of silence because he's failed to save some more people and he just wants to die but they won't but the world won't let him the world won't uh let him escape his jaw his jaws so he ha- he gets caught up again fell some more people has to kill more people has to betray more friends and then he goes off in the desert uh to die um and so i would say the mad max video game if you haven't played it it's really cheap now it's going to be free on playstation 4 next month if you have ps4 plus um definitely check it out it's a cool open world game has a great story if you like mad max i would 100 percent recommend you check it out it's a it's part of the canon as far as how uh, concerned 
How similar is it? It looked very Far Cry Horizon Zero Dawnish to me. How how in terms of like how open worldy was it in terms of like random activities that just kind of no it doesn't have, there's not a lot of random activity it's it's an open world game so it has standard open world tropes but basically what you're doing is you're exploring the world and there's actually a lot of lore in the game of like what lives were like during the apocalypse when it was all coming down so when you go to like a, a like you go to like a underground collapsed airport and you can find you know like pictures and photos and stuff with uh stories written on the back about what's happening to the people and letters things like that it's actually really well uh done but it's not one of those games where you have to collect everything or do everything in order to mm. complete it. it's really it's really not that it's just it's a and the driving is actually really fun i think they do a they could have done a better job but they do pro or like a set uh, 80% great job of catch capturing like the road battles in um, Road Warrior and Fury Road. And that's an accomplishment in and of itself, really, because no, almost no other games really do. Yeah, that is pretty. I know it's a it's a WB game. So like lately they with Shadow of War and, uh, and things like that, they've been like replicating their own emergent gameplay. But it's it's on sale, right? I'll pick it yeah, up. Yeah, it's only like five, it's always cheap now. It's always like like five bucks. Yeah, huh. sounds cool. I've never played it. It's yeah, it was a, out, but I didn't. Yeah, I know. It's the same. I never it, really it uh, came out the, gave, it a, it, gave it a shot. It came out the same day as Metal Gear Solid Five. That's why I oh. talked about it. <laughs> oh. Big mistake. Yeah, so final thoughts on Fury Road. You know, it's interesting. I feel like all four of us well, I I don't know. I mean, Shannon, do you think this is the best one? It's my favorite. It's your favorite. Okay. I think it's. Well, I think it's well, like. Well, we can just say that. All right. So let's rank them then. If we're, if we're talk, let's let's rank them. Let's put it, let's put it on the table. All right. Let, okay. Let's rank them. Let's go for it. Uh, two, four, one, three. Mm. Okay. All right. JDB. Two, four, three, one. Two, four, three, one. Okay. One last? Wow. Okay. I like it a lot. Like it's not it's not a shitty movie by any means. It's a great okay. film, but The Three Lover. Wow. I love I love Thunderdome. Thunder <laughs> I do. logged on. All right, Shannon. Uh 4 There's so much creative weird stuff in Thunderdome. <gasps> I'm with you, Shannon. The Thunderdome <laughs> lovers. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm amazed. All right, uh, so my uh, rank. You have to go ahead. No, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Leslie's got his ranking. Go we have to do his <laughs> Leslie's ranking. All right, so I will say two, one. Book of Eli. <laughs> <laughs> Mad Max the video game. Fury Road. Thunderdome. Wow. wow. Scarface the video. Game. <laughs> no, I I really do think like Book of Eli is just what happens in America while it's uh Mad Max is happening in Australia. I will fight anyone <laughs> who says otherwise. That movie is dope and it belongs in the post-apocalyptic canon. But yeah, I, I, mean, I really think like two and one are just so pure and like almost perfect films. And I love them to death. Even though I, I do enjoy Fear Road and I'll give it I'll give it another go. I think I might come to like it more and more there's just like there's no male gibson so look at there. look at look at it in context of like what is happening in movies you know at this time not in the context of necessarily like where it 
stands with the other Mad Max movies? Like, is there as good an action movie as Fury Road that's been released in, like, the past ten years? Uh, yes. I like uh, the John Wick movies. Yeah, the John Wick movies are good. Uh, Dina Carano. Uh, what's that? Haywire. Haywire. You liked Haywire? Oh, I love Haywire. Love Haywire. Haywire had, like... Haywire had, like, badass moves, but everything in between the action was just, like, slow. I'm sorry that you can't enjoy, you know, women talking, JDB. I'm sorry <laughs> oh that God. that bores you. <laughs> oh There's a lot of Channing Tatum talking, too, to be fair. <laughs> uh, we haven't really talked much about... Have you all, y'all seen A Boy and His Dog, right? Actually, I have not watched it yet. Really? Yeah, but we kind of have to wrap up, though. It's on YouTube. Go watch a boy and his dog. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> Everyone should also watch this movie called She. It's this awful B movie that rips off Mad Max. That's amazing. That sounds amazing already. It's great. I'll have to, I'll link it to y'all because there's a bunch of movies called She. It's really all right, so Shannon, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Plenty of Alcoves and on YouTube at Streetsy Movies. Or if you type in, like, so you want to be a film nerd, you'll find me on YouTube. Hey, there is one problem though. None of we've been telling all our listeners that being a film nerd is, especially in the year of Me Too, is extremely p- problematic, and you should only watch video games. So, <laughs> where there's, want, where, there's, there's nothing problematic about correct, video correct, games. Correct, correct. There is correct. not. There is thank, you, thank, thank you for you. stating that. It's perfectly. Yep. Uh, thank, women have never had a hard. We agree. You, anyway, you. gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, Shannon. Thank you so much. Everyone. Thank you for having me. That was awesome. From the racket, can't make the same mistake this time. We are the children, the last generation. We are the ones they left behind. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? 
Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or strugglesession.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.